Okay, I need you to think today, okay? This is one of those messages where you got to think. You know, Brad Ayler's sitting over here, and we played tennis together at OBU, and he is, when we were at OBU, he has this really good serve that can hit out wide, and I had to, like, get in his head to beat him, and, uh, and so one time I was, like, talking trash, and he was going to hit that wide serve, and he got distracted, and it hit the edge of his racket, and it went, like, 10 courts away. It was awesome. Um, <laughs> If you don't think with me, that it's going to be like that today. It's going to miss. I need you to think. I need you to wrap your head around this. We're, we're starting the book of 1 Peter. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. And I think it's an important book for us to study. And, and it's interesting as the people of God, from the, ever since Jesus established the church, God's people have been trying to figure out how to engage culture. And, and you know, when I think about last week, we, we ended with one of our core values that we are ambassadors for Christ. That, that we are called to, to represent Christ to the world that we live in and, and, and to engage the lost around us. And, and, and uh, in order to do that, we've got to understand the world that we live in the culture we are called to in 2022. I, I read a book a, a, a year ago, and if you want some mental sweat, you ought to write this book title down. It was an interesting book. It was by D.A. Carson, and it was called Christ and Culture Revisited. And what D.A. Carson did, Christ and Culture Revisited, is the title. And what he did is he took a a book that was written in the 40s by a guy named Niebuhr, uh, Richard Niebuhr, who uh, wrote this foundational work of theology called Christ and Culture. And what Carson did is he revisited Niebuhr's work. And, and, and you know, it's, it's interesting because it's how, it was, it was a take on how Christians should respond to culture. Now, culture is a hard word to define. Think about it. How would you define culture? I mean, it's a word we know, but when we really think about putting a definition to it, it's like, well, what is culture? You know, I'm going to take a stab at it by culture. This is not on your screen or anything, but, but you can write it down. You ought to, you ought to write some stuff down today because I'm going to give you a lot of verses and things. But by culture, I'm describing how people create meaning. Think you have to be philosophical for a bit. How, how, how do people create meaning in their life? Uh, you can understand a culture by looking at a social life, maybe our food, our, uh, our achievements. What, what does a society achieve that, that they are, they're proud of? Or, or maybe their values. Well, what do they value? How do we advance society? That's our culture. Culture is who we are. It's the world we've created to live in. Like in, for example, in Oklahoma, I was just with a bunch of pastors from, and leaders from, at the International Mission Board from all over the nation. And, and in Oklahoma, our culture is shaped by OU and OSU, right? You know, that, that, that shapes our culture. That shapes our, our loyalties and our thinking, and you know what's interesting is you, you can do a casual, like, just scan of history. Okay, let's think about this. And there are times that Christians were 
um, were persecuted in culture. Christians were, were like under the thumb of, of horrible leaders. Uh, there were times, if you look at the history of the world, Christians were, were in power. Christians were influential and made all the decisions and, and, and shaped architecture and music and, and so much. You know, I think most of the times in history we've been in some sort of middle ground between persecution and offense to the world and then maybe adopted and influential by the world. So that's just part of culture. But, but the question is going to be, as a Christian, are we to look like the culture or are we to look different than the culture? And I think it depends on the time of history that you're living as I look at 2022 and what I see unfolding in the world in front of us, everything points to the fact that following Jesus is, a, is becoming more and more hostile to the world. That, that to follow Christ will mean that we're going to look totally different than what is normal and popular and but, but you know what I'm grateful for? I don't look at this as a pastor and running into 2022 with fear. I look at it like, okay, cool. This is just the world we are in. Bring it on. And I, I think about the Psalm 119, 105 kind of mentality that, that, that God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And, and I don't look at our future going, oh, no. I look at this going, hey, let's, let's get after it. Let's follow the Lord. Now, normally when I preach, I use the ESV uh, translation because I think that is the most scholarly translation. Uh, and you know what the best translation is, right? Uh, the best translation for you to read is the one you have, okay? So you ought to just read your Bible. But, but normally when I preach, I use the ESV. Uh, this series through First Peter, I am going to use the old NIV, now, here's why I'm doing that, and I'm just kind of throwing down a gauntlet here because I need some accountability. Um, I am, we're, we're going to be in 1 Peter through the end of the summer. That's how long we will be in this book as a church. And by the end of that, I'm going to, I'm trying to memorize the entire book of 1 Peter. And so I started in the NIV, and I can't switch translations because it messes with my head. So I just got to preach from this, the old NIV because it just messes with my mind. But, but I do appreciate and I hope for the accountability to finish that goal and accomplish that goal. Because I found in my life that memorizing Scripture has been one of the greatest spiritual disciplines. It's produced some of the most fruit in my life. And I would challenge you to consider, you don't have to memorize a book, but, but, but consider memorizing Scripture. And I'm trying to do that because it's been helpful but this morning, I've got a big task because what I want to do is kind of do a 30,000-foot flyby of the book of 1 Peter. So we're going to start in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1. Would you stand with me? And let's look at God's Word today. Okay. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit 
for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, now, uh, Peter's story is amazing. When you think about, it starts out, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. We know who wrote it. Peter, it's Simon Peter. It's, it's the, the disciple that, that hung with Jesus um, that was kind of the, the lead disciple of all the bunch. And, and Peter's not my favorite disciple. My favorite disciple is John. But Peter's uh, one of the most notable disciples. I, I like him because he was, he was like me. He was always flying off at the mouth. I do that sometimes, and i got to watch that. I'm convicted by that often, most of the time by my daughter and my son that uh, get on me for my mouth. And, and uh, which I'm, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, but um, she's like, that's right, I do. You should see that. That's incredibly convicting. Um, but, but Peter, I like him because when you think about the transformation of his life, it's, it's amazing. And what's interesting about Peter is if you trace his discipleship and his apostleship, he was one that really focused on the Jews. It was Paul, when Paul got saved, Paul focused on the Gentiles. And, and if you remember in the story of Peter, as you know, he struggled with Gentiles coming to Christ. Oh, a little bit, because you remember the Acts moment where he was at the Tanner's house, and, and, and he was like, I'm not going to the Gentiles, and the, the, the food came down, and, and that vision of the food that he told him to go eat, and then right after that, he went to the Roman leader's house, a guard's house, and led them all to Christ, and you know, Peter didn't like the Gentiles, and if you really look at your New Testament, you see a whole lot of conflict between Jews and Gentiles, and Peter was a primary voice to the Jews, and that's why this introduction of 1 Peter is so very um, interesting, revealing the transformation of Peter, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect Strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. You know, these were primarily, there were probably some Jews in these churches, but, but they were primarily Gentile churches. And the fact that Peter would write a letter directed to Gentiles encouraging them and helping them is remarkable. You know, Peter... Uh, Let's look back at verse 1. I want you to notice a couple of things. Look, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, just to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, notice this, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, there's some big words there. Now, as we fly over at a 30,000-foot view of 1 Peter, the first thing that we need to notice is this, is that salvation is your greatest gift. And that's a flyby. One of the things that we will encounter as we study this book, we will often go into the magnificence of salvation. Now, there's some big words there. Election is a big word. God's elect. Strangers in the world is a big concept. Foreknowledge of God is a big concept. Chosen by God is a massive concept. Now, 
They've been debated among Christians. And, and, and I'll tell you, Christians have been wrestling through these concepts for, from the beginning, honestly. And let's, let's, let's do that a little bit today. Because, you know, when you look at the Scriptures, all through Scripture, God reveals His characteristics. And this is one of them. We see one of His characteristics revealed. And it's this characteristic that God is sovereign. What do you mean? What I mean by that is that he's in control. He's in total control. Nothing is surprising to God because he's eternal, right? God is outside of time. We are impacted by time. God is outside of time. That kind of makes us go, you know, he's omniscient, meaning he knows everything. He's omnipotent, meaning that he is all-powerful. He's omnipresent, meaning that he's everywhere at every time. God is big, and this is why we worship him. God is sovereign, and we see this. But in this passage, you see something that, that makes, makes many very uncomfortable with Scripture. And it says that in this passage, God clearly reveals that he chose us. And, and 1 Peter 1 and 2 is not the only place where God reveals that he chose us. Ephesians 1.4 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Okay, that's something we, gotta, we can't get away from. Now, the, the, he uses the term election. Now, let's wrestle with that a minute. Election, I've got a definition. You can write it down. It's in your notes if you're following in our app. But election is an act of God before creation in which he chooses people to be saved, not on account of any unforeseen merit in them, but only because of his sovereign good pleasure. Now, there's some verses you ought to write down. I, I've studied these verses and wrestled through these verses, and, and, and the term is, election is used in these verses in Acts 13.48. Acts 13.48, Romans 8. 28 through 30. Election is there. Romans 8, 28 through 30. Romans 9, 11 through 13. Romans 9, 11 through 13. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. 1 Thessalonians 4, or excuse me, 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 and 5. 2 Timothy 1, 9. Now, let's process this a little bit because this this is um, often a trigger word in theology, and people go, oh my goodness, what did you just say? Election before the creation of the world? But the Bible points to this. Look at those verses. You have to look them up. You have to wrestle through them. But here's, the, here's, here's when the Bible speaks in those verses about election, can I tell you what it's for? We have failed miserably in the church for for years on this topic. Because we've used election like a hammer. Like, hey, you're the elect and I'm not the elect. Or, or I'm the elect and you're not the elect. Usually how it goes. And that's not how God intended the concept of election to be understood. You know, when, the, when, the, when election is used, there's three reasons it's used. The first reason is that it's a comfort to believers that are facing very difficult times because God wins in the end. That's why election is given to us. 
Uh, the idea of election is revealed to us because it gives us a reason to praise God because he sees you, he knows you. And we praise the Lord that, that, that we're comfortable with God doing the big things, right? But God knows every human being that's ever been born. He knows the details of your life. He knows the little things about you. And it's to give you a sense of awe. A third thing is that it gives you encouragement to evangelize, to share the gospel. I mean, I just hung out last week at, the, at our International Mission Board with some of the bravest believers that I know that are in countries that, are, that, are, that they're worried about their lives. But yet, they are, they are willing to go because the gospel is always effective. And it's an encouragement to us. Now, um, I want you to lock in on one truth that we see in this passage, and it's very clear that God chose you. You know what that means? It means that salvation has everything to do with God. And that's something we need to understand. The Bible clearly teaches that God chooses us first, and most people believe it's the opposite. Most people believe that, that salvation is in human hands. But it's not. It's not in human hands. Salvation, some, most people believe that salvation is given to me because I've somehow earned it. I somehow deserve it. I'm better than somebody else. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach that you get the ball rolling and then God saves you. No, salvation always starts with God. And we see this in 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2, that God chose us. You also see it in 2 Thessalonians 2, 13, but we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I'll raise him up on the last day. And you may say, well, Chris, I don't get it. Well, welcome to the club right? Because it's, this is something that God, salvation is so big, it's in the hands of God, not man. But, but, but you know what? Some people also have this idea. Well, God knew that I would choose him, so he chose me. But that's not what the Bible says. Now, that's a tough thing to wrestle through, but, but, but let me tell you something else the Bible reveals. The Bible reveals that God chose you. But you know what else the Bible reveals? That God gave every person the gift of free will. Now, now to us, from our seat, it looks like, wait a minute. God chose us, but then he lets us choose? How do these come together? We don't know. It's like there are two parallel lines. God's sovereignty and man's free will are two parallel lines, and we don't really see where they come together. But I'll tell you, the Bible says, Romans 10, 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, it, he, he, he tells us that while salvation has everything to do with God, at the same time, salvation has everything to do with you. And you may say, Chris, that doesn't make sense. This is a work of God revealed in Scripture. It's why we worship Him 
and not ourselves. And I'll tell you, let, let, me, let me give you a, a test on how you can tell you are studying theology and the Bible correctly. If you study the Bible correctly and you study the doctrine of election and the doctrine of free will correctly, it's going to move you to more of a humility, more of a gratitude, more of an awe of God, like, wow, he's really big. If we start studying these topics and we get a little arrogant, like, man, I'm smart and you're not. I'm the elect and you're not. And we start trying to reverse engineer this divine salvation, holy, God-ordained calling. Because we live in a, we're, we're a church of engineers, right? We want to reverse engineer everything. And we need to let God have salvation. This is going to cost me $5. I didn't use it in the first service, but my sweet red-headed daughter up here, because I, I have to pay my kids $5 every time I use them as an illustration. Maybe, I don't, maybe you don't know that. But my kids make money if I use them as an illustration. Maggie as a little girl was my one child that would say, why dad, why dad, why dad? And I can remember as a, when she was five, she kept the peppering of why dad, and I got down on my knees. I said, honey, I'm not going to tell you why. I'm your father. I know best. Don't play in the street. Go back in the house. Why, Dad? Just do what I ask you to do. I think sometimes we just need to go, God, I'm just going to do what you ask me to do. Because from a human perspective, here's what we know. The moment that you put your faith in Christ, everything changes. 1 Peter 2.10, we'll get there. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. John 6.37, all that the Father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 6, this is good and acceptable in the sight of our God, of, of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. And, and here's what I know about Scripture. God placed a whosoever will invitation to the world. So when you look at 1 Peter, we're going to see over and over again as we fly over this, salvation is the most incredible gift that you have. And we're going to see it. Do you know what else we see? Because i got to keep flying and pretty soon come in for a landing here. But... Um, but you know what else we discover, we're going to discover in 1 Peter? As we look at this book, think about it, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. 
who've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, notice this, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. You know what you see in the book of 1 Peter? You see the sanctifying work of the Spirit of God. You see, you see Peter's life completely changing. And, and we're going we're gonna to learn how to do that. We're going to see in chapter 2, therefore rid yourself of all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, and envy and slander of every kind. You know what we're going to see? That the Holy Spirit helps us grow up. That's something we're going to see in the, in the book of 1 Peter, that, that the Holy Spirit is going to move in us. The Holy Spirit is going to grow us up. We're going to learn how to get rid of some things in our lives, and we're going to learn how to be holy as God is holy. We're going to learn how to walk with the Lord, how to put disciplines in our lives that are so very important for us to do as followers of Christ. And I love it that Peter's writing this because his life is such a great example. Uh, You remember his story, right? Luke 22 talks about his story, how massive it was that, that, remember, they were about to go to the, Jesus was about to go to the cross. They had just had the Lord's Supper, the, the, the Passover Supper. And you know what Jesus said to Peter in Luke 22? He said, look, Peter, Satan wants to sift you like wheat, he said. And then if you look at Luke 22, verse 32, it's such a cool verse. It says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter's like, all right. What, what are you talking about, Jesus? My, my, my strength's not going to fail. Oh, Peter. He goes on right after that. Oh, before the rooster crows three times tonight. You're going to deny me. You know what you see in the book of 1 Peter? It's so very cool. You see the answer to Luke twenty-two thirty-two, 32, as Jesus says, my prayer is that, that your faith may not fail, and when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. What you see in the book of 1 Peter is Peter has come back to the Lord, and now he is strengthening the brothers in Pontus, Galatia. Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And you know what we have? We have a record that continues. And in 2022, God is using the book of 1 Peter to strengthen us. So very cool. When you look at Peter's life, you see how the Holy Spirit grew him. You see some things about his life that, that the one thing that you see about Peter, that big stumbles don't have to be fatal. You know that, Right? You know that when you stumble, you and I are going to stumble like Peter stumbled? You know stumbles don't have to be fatal? Why? Because repentance really does matter. And that's why we've got to get a proper, a biblical understanding of election. And not just use it as, as a hammer. And realize that your repentance matters a lot. Don't ever forget that. Peter's an incredible example of this. That repentance matters and that's why we as a body are leaning into, into conviction. We lean into the, the Holy Spirit uh, correcting us. We, we submit to God's voice. Peter is a great example of this. Repentance does matter. And when you look at his life, uh, it's so very fascinating because one of the things that Peter kept doing is he, he never stopped coming back to Jesus. You know what I want to challenge you to do and and me to do is to never stop coming back to Jesus. You know what happens when we fail, when we struggle? We get this idea that, well, I don't want to go to church. 
I don't want to go around God's people. I've messed up. No, that's exactly when you come back to the Lord. And Peter set this example for us that in spite of his massively historic public failure that we all look back on and recognize and remember, bailing on Jesus in the worst moment possible, the cross. Yet he came back to Jesus, and he kept coming back to Jesus. And you know what? When you keep coming to Jesus, you know what you find? Mercy, grace, help, power, forgiveness. We're going to see that in the book of 1 Peter, how to grow up. Lastly, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world. You know, we're, we're, our culture right in front of us is changing. Look, folks, the world we live in is becoming more and more hostile to followers of Jesus. But you know what? That shouldn't scare us. Because you know what, what God has done all through history and God's going to do in our history? Is that Jesus helps you in the face of a hostile culture. He helps you. He helps us. And here's what I know is true, that, that as a follower of Christ, you, you and I, we always have a living hope, no matter what the circumstance, no, no matter what circumstances come our way. We're going to see next week, or, or not next week, the week after, the, the living hope that, that we get to have as we follow Christ. You realize that the hope of Christ is living, it's active, it's, it's, it's powerful. You have a living hope in Jesus. And that's why Romans 15, 13 is a, is a dear verse to us that describes the calling we have in this world. May the, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him. And may you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That it's the Spirit of God that, that works in us and moves in us. And, and we overflow with hope to a world that's hurting and empty and lost. And it's not up to us to go, who's the elect, who's not? It's not up to us. It's up to us to go share the gospel with everyone we meet. And you know what I assume as a preacher? That if I'm in front of you, God's calling you. If you walked in the room today, come to Jesus. If you're watching online today, come to Jesus. And as I walk with the Lord and I um, follow his word and put it into practice, you know, it moves me to go to everyone I can, to find every person I can, to go to every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and share the gospel and, and say to people, come to Jesus. See, the results are not up to you or me. God is at work. And God's calling you and I to be his ambassadors. And can I just ask you, we have a Mission Life Challenge every, every Sunday. Here's the Mission Life Challenge that I want to give you today. Sometime this week,
I want you to sit down and I want you to write out on a piece of paper or type out on a, I want, or if you don't write, record it into your phone. How Jesus has changed your life. I want you to write that out. I want you to process that. You know, we have dinner with the pastor this Wednesday night. You know, every dinner with the pastor, we ask people to write out their testimony. A couple years ago, we had a sweet lady that had come to dinner with the pastor, and we were, hey, write out your testimony. She sat down to do that, and she realized, I don't have one. I don't have a moment that Jesus changed my life. You know what we got to do? We got to sit down with her and, and, and process what God was doing. She got saved. She came to Jesus once. See, she, she wasn't a people, but then she became the people of God. See, that, before that, she hadn't received mercy, but now she, then she did. 1 Peter 2, 10. And then, just like what happened in the first service, you, you guys missed the first service. At the beginning of the first service, we had a, a senior adult lady from the Baptist village that got baptized and, and said, man, I, I need Jesus in my life. And, and, and you know what? Let me tell you something. You may sit down to write out this mission challenge and realize, wait, wait, wait. I need Christ. Come to Jesus. Come to him. He won't turn you away. You know that, right? You know, I look forward to digging in to 1 Peter. Because the Holy Spirit is going to prepare us. Because see, Peter's writing to people that are in persecution, in hostility. And you know what they discover? That God gives us power, strength, hope. And a lost world sees it. And I'll tell you, let's not forget our core value that we looked at last week. We are ambassadors for Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21 says, we are therefore Christ ambassadors. It is as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you. We beg you. We, we, we proclaim to you. You could be reconciled to God. Why? Because God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Let's think about 1 Peter 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, and notice this, and sprinkling by his blood. You see, the blood of Christ changed everything for us. That's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper today, because the blood of Christ 
changed us, cleansed us. And it's odd to think the blood of Christ sprinkling on us to cleanse us. But that's exactly what Jesus did. Do you know him? How how has God used his word today? It's time to have an invitation. Joe, come on out. As we lean into the Lord today, as we lean into his voice today, don't turn him away. A young dad walked up to me in the last service. It's like, man, it's time to make some changes in my life. Is that you? I'll come to him. Because you know when you do, you find mercy and grace and hope, forgiveness. I'm going to ask you to stand where you are. And as you stand, even if you're online today, I just want to ask you to lean into the Lord today. And maybe, maybe in this moment you need to pray and just stand there and pray. Standing's a good posture in an invitation because it's the first step to movement. You've already moved. And even if you're in your living room, stand. Because it's time to move. Lord Jesus, we bow before you. And I thank you for the gift of First Peter. And I pray that you would teach us, you would lead us. You would grow us. You'd move us. Lord, there's some anxiety about the changing culture that we're in. But Lord, I thank you that how you turn fear to faith. Would you do that in us and through us? Move us now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Our altars are open and we invite you to come.